You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Okay, today I want to talk about the fruitful life, and I want to do so by thinking about fruit and how it grows on a tree. And I want to think about the image of a banana tree, a banana plant. I don't know what it is. Banana bush. I didn't get my, uh, my horticultural games week, uh, so I didn't get the right term. I suppose it's a banana. It's a tree we're going to look at. At least what I'm going to show you is a tree. So uh, these, I want to show you two different banana trees as sort of a metaphor, a picture, an analogy of the Christian life. Here's the first one. Look at that. That is a bunch of bananas, is it not? It is there. That's abundant. They are growing. They are just well ordered. Um, and it's just, I feel like you could just reach in there and grab one. It may need, they look a little green, don't they? They may need to sit, they may need to ripen a bit, but uh, they, it's, it looks like healthy, the leaves in the back, some healthy green vegetation. And you just look at that and kind of go, you know, that's a, that's a kind of, if this is a metaphor, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be bearing lots of fruit. Uh, and I want to be green and leafy and healthy. And that's a picture right there of the Christian life. Here's another banana tree. Now, this is someone who has taken bananas and has strapped them, tied them to a tree trunk. These are bananas that are on a tree trunk in a public park or somewhere uh, that they have put them like that for an art project. So what someone has done here is taken fruit and detached it from any living tree and reattached it to another tree. This fruit is not life-giving. This fruit is uh, just sort of tied on, if you would, strapped to the tree itself, stapled, whatever, however it's affixed to the tree. And sometimes this is what our Christian life is like. We observe someone who is godly. We hear a sermon about what it means to follow the Lord, and we just do some behavior modification. We just try to pick up a new technique, a new Christian life hack, a new spiritual habit just birthed by, you know, on the outside of us. Um, We just see someone's demeanor and their language and the way they do things, and we just sort of seek to adopt that external behavior. And that's what it's like. It's like taking fruit, which is not part of us, and tying it to our lives, as opposed to the first picture again, which is fruit that grows out of a vital relationship, a vital connection with the life-giving tree. Now, I'm going to change the picture because I couldn't find good, great pictures. But in, G- in John 15, Jesus is talking about this very thing. He is talking about a grapevine and the branches off the grapevine and how they bear fruit. So let's look at that together and read verses uh, 1 through. I'm just going to go through verse 8 right now in John 15. This is Jesus speaking God's very word to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, in this passage, we... we find out a few things. First of all, Jesus teaches us that God wants his disciples, his followers, to be fruitful. That is his plan. That is his desire. And that God produces fruit in our lives through at least two ways that he speaks about here. One is through pruning, and his pruning, and one is through abiding, our abiding in him. Pruning and abiding. But I want to start with the first idea in the passage, and that is that God wants us to be fruitful. So I'm going to walk through this passage, but I'm also going to, at several points going to jump around a little bit and draw some, um, some repeated ideas out of the text. And this is one of the repeated ideas. God wants you to be fruitful. And I don't want to skip over that because I think many of us, I think that's the foundation for bearing fruit is to know that the Lord wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants us to develop. But many of us, we don't honestly in our heart of hearts believe that. We think God wants somebody else to be fruitful. We think God wants somebody else to be godly. We think somebody else, God wants somebody else to be bold in their faith, that God wants somebody else to grow and have a godly marriage, that God wants somebody else to have a rich, abundant walk with Christ as a single adult, that God wants that for somebody else, but we rarely think, yeah, that's what God's plan is for me. And yet, if we don't embrace that reality, I think this passage loses so much of its authority and power is that this is God's will that we bear fruit. Sometimes we think maybe it's not another person, but it's me later in life. It, it works like this. Once I get my act together, then God will start working in me. Once I get my act together, then God will start working through me. But I want you to know that God wants to work in you today. God wants to work through you today. You're not on the sideline until you reach some level of godliness that you come up with until God's going to start using you. Well, once I get through this trial, God's going to use me. No, God wants to work in you right now. God wants to bear fruit in your trial. God wants to bear fruit. As a matter of fact, he says in here, branches that don't bear fruit, he removes. There's really only one kind of branch that he talks about here. It's the branch that bears fruit. That is the definition of a disciple we're going to see here, a branch that bears fruit attached to the vine. So you've got the grapevine, and then you've got these branches coming off of it. Jesus is that vine, he says in verse 1, and we are those branches. Look what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he takes away branches that don't bear fruit. Okay, is he talking about... Christians there. I don't think so. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, so abiding is the branch that's connected to the vine. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So verse 6 seems to talk about these dead branches that don't bear fruit. Uh, There it speaks of it in the kind of language Jesus uses for judgment. So this seems to be the, the, the branch that does not bear fruit seems to be the dead branch that doesn't really have a living, vital connection to the vine. Now, in immediate context, this applies likely to Judas, because what's happened in this passage is, if you look at the last verse of, cha- of chapter 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Then, I am the true vine, my father, my father is the vine dresser. So what's happening is they've just completed the Last Supper, and Jesus says, let's get up and go. And as they're walking, ultimately, to Gethsemane, as they're walking along, Jesus starts talking about vines. Probably it was just an example on the ground that he pointed to and used it as an object lesson. So immediately, Jesus, Judas has just betrayed Jesus. What is Judas? Well, he looks like he's connected to Jesus. He's part of the 12, but he never knew him, really. And so anyone like that, anyone who doesn't have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, is ultimately a branch that does not bear fruit, is what he is talking about. So God expresses his purposes for every person who is a real Christian, a genuine Christian, is attached to the vine. Everyone like that, he wants them to bear fruit. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, this is a powerful verse, because here's what he's saying. This is how you glorify God. The way you glorify God in your life is the life of the vine flows into you, the branch, and you bear fruit. That is what pleases, honors, and glorifies the Lord. The Lord created you to glorify him. And a primary way he does that is by bearing fruit, by bearing his own life into you and through you. Secondly, he says, by this you prove my, to be my disciples. So he's saying a branch that bears fruit shows it's living. It's, every living branch is going to bear fruit. It's living. It's not just somebody else. It's not just you at a different stage in your life. It's you now, me now, that God wants to bear fruit through our lives. He chooses us to bear fruit. So um, our status, our nature is that we are branches, he's the vine. This This is called union with Christ. There's a vital connection with Jesus Christ that we have. And this union is created to produce something. Now a tree, which, you know, we're going back from trees to vines here. A tree has multiple purposes. A tree provides wood. A tree provides a, how, a place to live for birds to nest in. A tree provides shade. A grapevine produces one thing. The purpose of the branch is to make grapes, to produce grapes. That's the whole reason you have the branch as an offshoot of the vine. And that is the result of a vital union with Christ is fruit bearing. And if you think about the Bible and the storyline of the Bible, you'll see that at various places throughout the Bible, we get this image of fruit and we see this has always been God's plan. Think about creation. God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. It's called a garden. It's a, it's a paradise. And there they are to work the land. Uh, they are to be fruitful Well, there's a word from the very beginning. Their very calling is to be fruitful and to multiply. So at one level, they're in this environment that's filled with lush, fruitful, a fruitful abundance. But that's not just agriculture. That's 
the way that God created them to live. They were fruitful in their relationship with God before there was no sin. They were fruitful in their relationship as a couple with one another. They were fruitful in their relationship with the environment. They were fruitful in their relationship with their work. They were fruitful. All of their life was all about bearing fruit. This is before sin, so they are connected to God and bearing life. But that's, that's God's ideal before the fall. When the fall comes in, there's thorns and thistles. Not only in your, just your job, but in all of life, there's thorns and thistles. But God still wants to bring fruit into our lives. Or if we go later in the Bible, think about Psalm 1. This is one of the Psalms we'll look at this summer. How does God describe a wise person? In Psalm 1, God says, don't walk in the counsel of ungodly people. Don't, don't embrace false ideologies and false uh, um, you know, propaganda, but believe the truth of the Bible. And he says, the wise person, this is what he says a wise person is like. A wise person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. The wise person is like a life, a life built near the source of of water, and the result is bearing fruit. Or think about what we're reading right now. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Well, what was the false vine? Well, the false vine were the Pharisees and the people of Israel at this time that didn't believe in Jesus. The Old Testament image of vine is representative of the people of God. So in the temple, on the porch of the temple, there was a gold winding vine that was placed there, uh, was uh, carved there to represent the people of God. And Jesus is saying the people of God are not acting like the people of God because they're rejecting their Messiah. And so I am the I am the people of God. I am the true person of God. And if you're in me, you're adopted into his people, ultimately, is what he is saying. But he is the true vine. So the temple imagery, which is fulfilled in Jesus, that's part of the picture of fruitfulness. Or go to Galatians 5. After Jesus is resurrected and ascended and pours out his spirit and the church is being built, Paul describes the Christian character, the character of a Christian as fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience, these various character qualities. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us. That's called bearing fruit. So in the church time, the time of the church, God's plan is to create a people for himself that look more and more like him bearing fruit. And when they come together corporately, we all bear more fruit together uh, so that the world may know who God is and who Jesus Christ is, what he's done. And then this is how the story ends. In Revelation 22, there's all these images, they're symbolic of what the new heavens and new earth will be. And it says that from the throne of God, there will be this river flowing. And on the side of the river, like the Psalm 1 reference, uh, there is the tree of life, which bears 12 kinds of fruit, it says, again, a symbolic number, bears 12 kinds of fruit each month, 12 months. So it bears a fullness of fruit and a fullness of time, but the, the image is the same. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's like when you think about heaven, we don't know exactly what the new heavens and new earth will all be like, but we know this, God is bearing massive fruit there. 
So this is the storyline of the Bible. So none of us dare, as believers, opt out as if God is just going to let us kind of just inch our way by, get by, that he doesn't really have a plan to do anything in our lives. I mean, before we get to the crux of this, I just want to hammer this point that God wants to work in you. He wants to do things that you can't imagine in you and through you, conforming you to the image of Christ so that you bear fruit. Well, it probably is worth asking this far into the sermon for sure, uh, what exactly is fruit? Um, maybe I should have started with that point. What is kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? Well, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't define it. Jesus doesn't say, you know, you bear fruit, and here's what those grapes represent. And then he gives us this detailed description. He doesn't give us a narrow definition. And wherever Scripture isn't narrow in its definition, we're wise to be a bit broad rather than saying it has to mean this one little narrow thing. I think we're wise to be a bit broader And uh, I have a couple definitions that I read that I think are helpful that help us get at this fruit. One commentator said, fruit is tangible growth as the result of a vital connection to Christ. It's tangible growth in our lives that is produced by this vital connection with Jesus. So it has two different aspects there. It's It's growth, maturity, however you want to view that. It's growth, but it's tied to Christ. The ESV Study Bible, if you don't have a study Bible, this is the one I would recommend, would be the ESV Study Bible. I think the notes are tremendous in it. In the ESV Study Bible, it, their definition of fruit, this is just one person's idea, but their definition of fruit was this. It's the good results that come from the life of a believer, probably in terms of bringing benefit to the lives of others and advancing the work of God in the world. That's powerful. Fruit is... God changing me. Now, that would be love, right? That's the first fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, love. It's God working in me for the benefit of others. And it's advancing the work of God in the world. It's wherever God has placed me, whatever opportunities he is giving me, God, Christ is working through me so that I'm a light in the darkness, and I am advancing the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a life worth living. You know, one of the best definitions I heard of leadership in the church is this. I heard a guy say, my goal is for my fruit to grow on other people's trees. What did he mean by that? He meant that my goal is to invest in other people, to disciple other people, to serve other people, to listen to other people, to care for other people, to equip other people, so that the the fruit God wants to bear in my life is shown up in the changed lives of others. Yeah, that's true of evangelism too. Lord, evangelistic fruit is somebody else meeting Christ through our witness together. So that's a little bit about fruit. It, it could also mean the fruit of the Spirit, obviously. Galatians 5, which I talked about other, earlier. Uh, in this passage, in verse 10, he talks about obedience to God's Word. So fruit has to do with obeying God for sure. Uh, in verse 11, he says, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So there's for the fruit of a life of joy in Christ. That's in this passage. Verse 12, he speaks about, we didn't go that far, but he speaks about love for one another. So clearly love. Verse 16, he says, you will go and bear fruit. So there seems to be this sense of mission. Mission means to be sent. The word mission comes from a Latin word meaning send. So it's you're to be sent to bear mission, wherever, uh, bear fruit, wherever you are. So this is what 
this is what God's talking about. So the, to review what I'm saying, I believe from the passage is that God wants you to bear fruit. That is an evidence you're his disciple. That is the way he is glorified. Uh, and this fruit uh, is seen throughout the Bible that God wants a fruitful people by the power of his spirit from Eden to the new heavens and the new earth. And the kind of fruit we're talking about is tangible growth that comes not just from our self-effort, but comes from the, the, uh, a vital union with Christ. And it's the kind of growth that honors the Lord, that benefits other people, and that advances the mission forward. So how, okay, that sounds, maybe you say, I'm in, I want that. How do I get that in my life? Well, let's talk about pruning. Because the first thing he says here is that he prunes and God produces fruit in our lives through pruning, his pruning, and our abiding. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So agriculturally, pruning is cutting back the branch. It's cutting back, in this case, the, the branch on the grapevine so that it will produce more. Tri- uh, pruning involves trimming. It involves removing part of the branch, and it's counterintuitive because you think, well, if we're cutting off some of the branch, that looks harmful. But the reality is that's the key to growth. So at one level, it says here, so spiritually, God trims us. God cuts us back. God shapes us, we could say. Uh, God removes things from us so that we will bear fruit. That would be the application of the analogy. So how does God trim us? How does he cut us back so that we could bear fruit? Um, I think one way that we often don't think about is I believe there's micro-trimming that's micro-pruning that's supposed to happen daily. Every time we open up the Scripture in our lives, part of the goal is that God's Word would correct me. Paul says that's a purpose of the Word of God in 2 Timothy for teaching and rebuking and correcting, that God's Word shows me something about God's plan and where I'm not fulfilling God's plan, where I'm sinning, where I'm... It shows me that, and then it points me to Christ who forgives me my sins and empowers me to change by the Holy Spirit. So at one level, there's a daily sort of trimming back as we listen to God's Word. James 1 says, be a hearer and a doer. As we're hearers and doers of God's Word, He is pruning us every day in one way. You know, the one way to avoid the sort of overgrowth, which leads to a dead branch, is to expose ourselves to the pruning shears of God's Word on a regular basis. Secondly, God at times matures us by Uh, by the various kinds of trials or sufferings which feel like a painful cutting away. And the reason he does that ultimately is to uh, so that we will bear greater fruitfulness. We're going to talk about abiding in a minute, and these two are related. Abiding is being dependent on God. But pruning leads to abiding. Pruning leads to dependence upon God. Pruning produces more of a conscious awareness of our need for God as he cuts away um, the various false gods that I chase, the various God substitutes that I chase, and the very lies that I believe. As, he cuts, as, as, as I suffer, the point is that I would look and trust the Lord and see my need for him and ultimately bear more fruit. Um, there's many people in our church, many people in our church and everywhere, but in our church, people I know that suffer regularly physically. 
And this is something experientially that I can't relate to very much. I, uh, it's embarrassing almost that I have had very little physical suffering in my life. I have been miraculous. I, I live with people that suffer. I mean, my kids are grown, but two of my kids uh, have a, uh, were diagnosed with a chronic disease at, around preteen and live with that to this day. My wife's been through uh, various times uh, physical suffering. Um, my, I grew up with a mom that was chronically very ill. So I've been around physical suffering, but for some reason, by God's grace, I've been blessed to date with good health and extraordinary good looks. So those are two things. <laughs> You're laughing. Stephen Shue, I hear you above everyone in the room laughing right now. And I think my wife amened, but she didn't want to draw attention to herself in the front row. So she was amening and just saying yes. That was a joke. That was a joke. So uh, obviously, uh, but you have never laughed that loud at anything I've said, Stephen. So I'm calling you out in front of the whole class. It's unbelievable. One guy is just belly aching. He's leaning over laughing. That was so funny. You think you're attractive. Okay. I don't think I, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. I don't think more highly of myself than I ought in that category. But anyway, uh, so I have not had much physical suffering, but and this is, again, almost embarrassing to share because it's so minor, but I had a surgery a couple weeks ago, and I've never had anything. I No broken bones. I've never had anesthesia. I've never, I don't even think I've even ever had one of those hospital gown things. Nothing. Just nothing. So anyway, uh, I had the surgery, went well, and came home, and I was like, oh, wow, like, I hurt, and I can't move around, and I'm stuck in the house for a week. And so someone who suffers chronically texted me and said, um, hey, you know, how you doing? And was checking in on me. And my response was simply this. You know what? Uh, well, I'm just kind of going stir crazy here. I can't get out. I feel, you know, kind of housebound and, um, you know, trying to move. I can't really move, moving slowly, etc." And uh, I said, it gives me an appreciation for what you live with. And I hope I hope this produces, and I feel like it did at the moment, certainly, a compassion for people that chronically suffer and are maybe housebound or limited in their movement. So what happened in that? Again, mine was very minor. I'm up here walking around uh, fine now. But mine was very minor in the scheme of things and in the scheme of other people. But here's the, here's the example, that there is some kind of difficulty, suffering, pain that I experience, that in that moment I think what the Holy Spirit wanted to do I was get my body healthy, but what the Holy Spirit wanted to do was birth in me a level of compassion towards other people that I hadn't seen because I hadn't walked in their shoes, even if I only walked it for the blink of an eye. I hadn't walked that. And that changes the perspective of suffering, doesn't it? I go, oh, this could be a pruning event that, that does something in me and so that my heart is more tender towards those who suffer in a similar way. And I want to give you that picture of pruning and ask you, how would the idea of pruning change your current perspective on some suffering you're experiencing today? If you could really see God works all things together for my good, ultimately God is about bearing fruit in me for his glory, how would that financial challenge, that relational tension uh, that marriage issue you're walking through, that loneliness or depression that you're walking through. Now, I'm not saying those are very real things and very painful, perhaps. The confusion about your future, the, the burdens you feel in whatever area of life it may be. If you were able to see the Lord could use this 
in my life to produce some kind of beautiful fruit in my life that would start with glorifying him in my suffering, but could move beyond that to equipping me to move out in love towards others that suffer. What if the Lord could take what he's doing in me, and maybe I have a little bit of fruit of just one illustration, compassion and care for others, but what if the Lord took my own difficulty, and all of a sudden I had bunches of grapes on my branch of compassion and care and service and brokenness and empathy and listening and practical care and prayer and love for those who experience that kind of pruning? That would totally change the way we look at what we're going through. And God will create patience in our lives through various prunings and joy in our lives. And he will remove false gods and things we depend upon so that we know the true joy. Jesus says here in this passage, I'm giving you my word that my joy may be in you. You're chasing many other things, but if you would look back to your vital union with me, that's where I want you to experience real life. Pruning produces fruit. God is a faithful gardener. He prunes and shapes us through his word, through his spirit, through relationships, through the church fellowship and community, and through various means of trial. God prunes. Secondly and finally, abiding produces fruit. God wants to bear fruit in our lives. He does it through pruning and abiding. Abiding means that we have a role as well. God joins the branch to the vine and then God prunes the branch, and then God calls us to abide in the vine, connected to the vine. So look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Some, some translations, older ones in particular, didn't use the word abide. They used the word remain. Remain. Remain in me. So we already are in Christ, and he is already in us. Jesus has just talked, if you're a believer, Jesus has just talked about that. If you look up the chapter before, in uh, verse 16, chapter 14, 16, he says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the promise. So once you become a believer, you are in him, and he dwells in you. The Spirit does. So we're already connected to him uh, in a very powerful way, and yet we are to abide in him. What does that mean? We are to remain in him. It means abiding is a conscious awareness of our dependence on God. It is a conscious communion with Christ A branch that is separated has no life in and of itself. It can't produce fruit. Verse 5, without me, he says, you can do nothing. He doesn't mean you can't walk, talk, eat, uh, do your job, uh, you know, whatever you're doing. It doesn't mean that you are incapable of thinking, speaking, and acting. That's not what he means. He means that you can't produce spiritual fruit. You can't just come up with your self-help plan detached from Christ and do anything. So you must abide. You must be consciously dependent. You must cultivate communion with the one that you're already attached to. You must cultivate relationship with the one who already lives in you. You must cultivate learning and knowledge and fellowship with Jesus, whom you're already attached to. 
He's saying living the Christian life is impossible, impossible if we're not consciously dependent upon him because it is the spirit that produces life and character in us. This is really unique among religious views because the Christian life is not embracing a set of morals, embracing a set of values, embracing a set of rules and saying, I join the Christian faith. It is rather being spiritually dead and God Almighty giving spiritual life to you, breathing life into you so that you have a new birth, is what Jesus calls it, bringing you from death to life, opening your eyes, creating a love for Christ in you so that you turn from your sin and you believe in his death and resurrection and you are connected with him. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, the most common description of a Christian, the word Christians hardly used at all. I forget, maybe three times, two times, I can't remember. But hardly at all. Brother or brothers and sisters, that's very common. But probably the most common is in Christ, with Christ, Christ in you. It's this vine and branches. This is the very picture of the Christian life. You come into the Christian faith by being joined to Jesus, mystically, the spiritual union, by repentance and faith. He gives you this union, and then you live out your Christian life by the Spirit of God, the power of God, giving you new desires, changing you from the inside, and bearing fruit in your life. It's not a list of things to check off. It's not those bananas strapped onto the tree, tied to the tree trunk. It's not that. It's the first picture of bananas with the life flowing and and producing the bunch, the whole bunch of fruit. What ultimately we need is not a new technique, a new external practice. We need the life of Christ, which he provides. We need uh, the the life of Jesus in us. We need uh, him to change us from the inside. We need to pursue him so that we experience a change of heart, desires, affections, and so that he is bearing fruit in us. Now you say, okay, great. I'm all for that. How do I do that? That sounds good. I like the first banana tree. I don't want the second one. I don't want the, the tree branch. I don't want the uh, grapevine branch with very little fruit. I want fruit. How do we abide? Well, he gives us two ways to abide, at least two here. Chap- uh, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he talks about two things, words and prayer here. God's word and prayer. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. For me, you you could relate to this, I'm sure. There's a very big difference between the word of God abiding in my heart and me running my eyes across a few words on a page and forgetting about them. Abiding in his heart means that this is something that's affecting the way I think about the world, about the way I think about my life. This word is embedded into my thinking and my soul and my affections to such a degree to such a degree it's making me a new person in the way I behave, the way I respond to other people by the Holy Spirit's power. That's what it means. We're, we, we talked about transformed by the word as our theme this year. Transformed by the word. And so you remember last fall we all went through Psalm 119 in our journals and meditated on that. And then We had a men's conference on men of the word to talk about how the word of God impacts all of our lives. This coming Saturday, for all the women, you already heard about it. It's a women's brunch, but it's a brunch with teaching. 
uh, where a, um, a, a lady, a Bible teacher from the Village Church will be with us to teach on kind of the storyline of the Bible, how it impacts our lives. There's an opportunity. Today's the last day, so you should sign up for that, ladies, because that this is we're trying to get as much exposure. How does the Word transform my life? That's what Saturday Brunch is about. And the other thing we did at the beginning of the year, we said, hey, if you read the Bible in a year, uh, read the whole Bible this year. Many of us have never done that. If you do that, then in 2020, do it in 2019, in January of 2020, the pastors will honor you and serve you breakfast, which could be a blessing or a curse. But we will serve you breakfast and celebrate what God did in your life the year of reading the Bible. And here's how that goes. It's like January at the gym. Everybody's on board in January. We're reading Genesis, those stories Rob's going to teach about in May. They're captivating. They're amazing. Some of them are like, really? This is in the Bible? This is crazy? So it's very engaging narrative. And then everybody hit Leviticus, uh, you know, about February or March, and it's like, wow, I don't even know. What is this about mixed fabrics, and what is the blend of my shirt after all? And you just don't know. You just give up and quit. You quit. A bunch of us quit back in February. I, that's, I get that. So uh, here's what we're doing. Special announcement. Today is Amnesty Day. We're inviting all wandering readers back into the year of the Bible. In the, so in like three days is May 1st. So here's all you have to do. If you quit January 2nd, if you had one day under your belt, that's okay. If you quit in Leviticus, if you quit two weeks ago and gave up, just find your Bible reading plan. Find out where the Bible reading plan, where you're supposed to be May 1. Get Start there in the next three days at May 1. Read May to December, and you're invited to the same breakfast as those who went January to December. It's grace. Grace. Some are, some are cheering. Other people are moaning saying, that's not fair. <laughs> and so if that's you, I want you to do a devotion this week in Matthew 20. Because in Matthew 20, Jesus tells a story about a, a guy who had a vineyard, and he went out and hired workers at 6 a.m. and said, I'm going to pay you a denarius to work in my vineyard. And then they, there wasn't enough, so he went back out at 9 and hired some others, and he went back in the afternoon. The last people he hired was at 5 p.m., they came and worked, and what happened was then everybody comes in, and he pays them all the same. And the guys who were there since 6 a.m. said, hey, we should get paid more. And he said, did I not pay you what I said I would pay you? And can't, can't, are you opposed to me for generosity? Here I'm paying these other guys who worked an hour the same. Can I not do that? The last will be first, and the first will be last, Jesus said. And that's the story. So the vineyard could do what he wants, or what they want. The vineyard owner could do what he wants. So if you're bitter, uh, don't come see us and say we're unfair. Just read Matthew 20 and repent, okay? And celebrate the person that just read for an hour and got the same pancake you did. There you go. It's going to be wonderful. We want everybody at the banquet. So jump in, and uh, maybe you'll be at a, an easier spot to read in the Bible. It's all inspired. It's all wonderful. It's not all equally understandable, though, for sure. So maybe you're at an easier spot now. May 1, end of the year, boom. We'll see you in January for a celebration. Okay, so that's, that's what we're doing, everybody in, in the Word. So in this passage, he's saying that it's the Word of God in us that bears fruit. And then he says, when the Word of God is in you, you can ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. 
This is not prosperity theology. He's not saying you pick, you write your own ticket with God. You tell God what you want and he'll give you what you want. It's saying if you are in vital union with Christ and his word is alive and active in you, it will change your desires. So what you ask of God would be his very will. You'll be in tune and you'll be walking with God in word and spirit and prayer and you'll see God working in your life and bearing fruit. Abiding is active and passive. It's both active and passive. It's, it's not he does it all, but it's not we do it all either. In a great book that I want to remind you in, called um, Union with Christ, it's by a guy named Rankin Wilborn. Wilborn, W-I-L-B-O-U-R-N-E, Wilborn. Rankin Wilborn wrote a book called Union with Christ. It's a fantastic book. And he talks about how do we abide, what's our part, and what's God's part. He gives this illustration that I hope will help you and help me. He said, a few years ago, our family took a vacation near Lake Michigan. The beachfront had these small two-person sailboats you could rent. How hard could it be, I wondered. I put the boat in the water and fiddled with the ropes and sail, and 20 minutes later, the boat and I were only a few feet from shore. And I hoped anyone watching would assume that my red face was just sunburn. At last, the teenager at the rental stand took pity and gave me an impromptu sailing lesson. It did get me thinking about what makes a sailboat move. Is it the skill of the sailor? Certainly skill makes a difference, as I learned that day. But no matter how knowledgeable or how determined the sailor might be, he needs something else, something he has no control over, the wind. If there is no wind, his boat will not move. That's why the sailing metaphor is instructive. Life with God is not like a motorboat where we are in control of the power and direction. But neither is it like a raft where we just sit back and are carried along. It's like sailing. While we can't control the most important thing, the wind that makes us move, that does not mean there's nothing left for us to do. We have to draw the sail to catch the wind. Draw the sail to catch the wind. We're mixing the metaphors here today from bananas to grapes to sailing. But you you get the picture. How do we abide? Well, we don't just have a sermon series on abiding. We don't just read a book about abiding. Um, We actually have conscious dependence upon God. We look to cultivate that in our lives. Consciously dependent We do that through the word. We do that through prayer. Well, you say, well, I'm a busy person. You're in a room of busy people. That's Frisco. Everybody's busy that I I encounter. How do I do that? I just can't. It sounds like you're talking about something monastic. I can't be a part of a monastery. No, I'm not saying be a part of a monastery. God calls us to live our very full lives, but he calls us to live them dependent, where we punctuate our days with various times when we are engaging in his word and praying, and then we punctuate our normal activities with thoughts of him at various times. Our workday may not look different than anyone else. I'm not saying kneel down in the office or I'm not saying anything like this, but as we go through our day. We're, we're, we're laying our burdens on the Lord. We're listening 
to the Lord and his word. We're thinking about him. We're praying a real quick prayer before our next meeting or our next project or our next encounter with our child so that our heart is bearing fruit. We're asking for God's help. It's this conscious dependence. It's not just I go to church once a week and then I don't think about Jesus for seven days. It's throughout our day, this living and abiding in him. And let me encourage you for being here today. This is one way to set your sail. People who are not part of a local church miss one of the best ways to set their sail. Because you are here, if we're listening to God's word and we respond to it, then we're setting our sails so that we are ready for the Holy Spirit to breathe, blow through the preaching of his word, blow through the study of his word so that he pushes us along with some movement and growth in our lives in him. It equips us, it strengthens us to be able to uh, bear fruit. And it's a process it's a process. It's day after day after day. It's not short term. It's not, everybody come forward. We're going to get you. We're going to pray for you. You're going to abide for the rest of your life. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. It's every day. It's even, it's even micro. It's more than every day. It's throughout the day. Lord, help me. Sometimes I find myself, that's just it. Lord, help me. I'm just acknowledging I'm dependent on you, and this day is not going well, and I'm not doing well. Lord, help me right now. It's that kind of abiding, resting in him. So what is your next step? We all need to take a step here because we can't just abide miraculously forever. What's your next step? Maybe it's memorizing this passage. This would be a great passage to memorize and think about, the vine and the branches. That would really help. And then maybe it's doing some kind of reminders, setting something in your notes or the alarm on your phone, reminder, somehow to be engaging the Lord. Maybe it's a sticky note on your mirror or on your computer or your desk that just reminds you of some truth throughout the day. There's a connection, an abiding, a relying, a conscious dependence in communion with Christ. Maybe it's jumping back in, maybe it's taking advantage of Amnesty Day, jumping back in the reading challenge. I was joking about all that stuff. Who cares about a pancake breakfast? It's you and the Lord that matters. It's you feeding on him. That's what really counts. So maybe it's jumping back in to that and an award at the end of the year to boot, maybe. Maybe it's reading the book I mentioned, Union with Christ. That'd be a great book to read to begin to think more about this. Here's a great one. We're doing classes this summer. There's a class in one of the sessions on prayer, encountering God through our prayer lives. Maybe you go online like right now or when this service is over and you sign up for that class and you say, I'm going to get in there and learn about what it's like to live a lifestyle, a praying lifestyle. Maybe it's that. That would be great. Maybe it's getting with a mature Christian, someone in your community group or someone you met here. You think, I think they're pretty mature. You get with them and ask them to help you. Could we have coffee together? And could you tell me, how do you walk with the Lord? What does your day look like? I don't get this. Can you help me? That would be a great thing to do. Tell me about your life, whatever it would be. So anyway, the fact you are hearing this The fact this word, this passage is coming to you, the wind is blowing. This passage, the wind is blowing right now as we read this. Set your sail. Get your next step in line. Set your sail and watch how the Lord will bear fruit in your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.